Get Back to Basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Hi, and a very good afternoon to you. Wonderful to be with you this afternoon. It feels like spring has sprung in Johannesburg, and perhaps that has also got something to do with today. Today is the 15th day in the month of Av. And in many ways, today is a day that marks a real change, not only in seasons, but in mindset, in headspace, in fact, just about in everything. And there is a certain amount of certainty that this date actually brings for each and every one of us. And what is the certainty? What are we talking about when we think about certainty? Well, I think perhaps we have the best frame of reference in today's day and age, being that with COVID-19 and with all the things that are going on around us, one of the things that seems to have been taken away from us is the idea of certainty. We used to be able to plan. We can't plan anymore. We used to know when things were going to happen. We don't know anymore. And there is this element of the lack of knowing that is really driving a lot of people crazy, that is really very, very difficult for people to get their heads around. This concept of not actually knowing what's going to happen next, what's going to be tomorrow, when is lockdown going to end, when are shul's going to open, all these things lead to a tremendous amount of a lack of certainty. Not that anything was certain before. Let's not uh, really talk about that. Let's just think about the feeling that we had, the feeling of certainty that we had before, which seems to have been shifted to a side, and we don't have that perceived certainty anymore. Now imagine that come along into that mix or into this mix, suddenly everything is crystal clear. Suddenly there is an absolute certainty, and a certainty that is wonderful. A certainty of only great wonders and success. There's not a certainty of uh, desolation and of destruction. This is a certainty of the fact that only good things are coming. That we are going to only see good and wonderful and fantastic things. And in a big way, this is what today represents the 15th of Av, the 15th of the month of Menachem Av. It is known by several names. It is known, first of all, as the 15th of Av. It is known as Chamisha Asar Ba'av, the classical and better name for it, the 15th of Av, Chamisha Asar Ba'av, the 15th of Av. But it's also known, and people often refer to it by its more, let's call it colloquial terminology, where it is known as Tu Ba'av, Tu Ba'av, is the 15th of Av. Now, when we take the letters of two, a tet and a vav, and we add them together, we've got nine plus six, which adds up to 15. And there is, of course, a fascinating story behind that as well, and that is that the number 15 should theoretically be depicted by a yud and a hey, which spells one of Hashem's holy names, which we're not allowed to do, and we certainly can't just use it as a number or a... Uh, a small detail in our lives. Hashem's name is not allowed to be taken in vain. And therefore, it's almost as though God's name is camouflaged within the uh, two, within the tet and the vav, within the nine and the six, to make up the number 15. Because we can't use God's name, it is therefore hidden behind the letters tet and vav to make up the number 15. 
And therefore today is a day where maybe not everything is as open and blatantly revealed as it should be to all of us. But let's spend the next 45 minutes or so unpacking some of the things that happened on the 15th of Av, some of the things that the 15th of Av actually represents, and how it is, and I hope you will see, that we'll develop a theme of what this date is actually all about. And it is really encapsulated, I think, in the idea of certainty, of knowing for sure that this is good, of knowing for sure that good things are happening, that they're about to happen, and that they will happen. But that idea of that certainty of knowing for sure is really what this date encapsulates, what it's really all about. Let's begin by talking about how the Talmud actually describes this day. It says in the name of Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel, that Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel, talking in the Gemara and the Talmud of Tainit, of Tainis, it says, there were no greater festivals for Israel than the 15th of Av and Yom Kippur. Wow! 15th of Av is compared to Yom Kippur. There's got to be something deep and profound and special about this day for Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel, who wasn't, he wasn't kidding around here. He wasn't playing any games with his words. He wasn't mincing any words here. He was telling us that the joy that we feel that certainty of exoneration that we feel on Yom Kippur, perhaps, is what we're talking about similarly on this day. The joy that that brings, the simcha, the knowledge of certainty, the knowledge of knowing for sure that good things are about to happen, the knowledge for, of knowing for sure that the negative past has been wiped out, this is what the 15th of Av is really all about. And he goes on to tell us that on these days, the daughters of Jerusalem, would go out and dance in the vineyards. And what would they say? They would say, young man, raise your eyes and see what which you select for yourself. So all of a sudden, we're kind of switching focus a little bit and we're talking about marriage. We're talking about shiduchim. We're talking about love. And particularly the love between a man and a woman to form the relationship of a marriage. That kind of a love, which we know is always used as a metaphor, as a euphemism for the love between God and the Jewish people, and therefore, perhaps that's what we're referring to as well. And then the same tractate of Talmud in Tainis goes on to list and to give us several different joyous events that occurred on the 15th day of the month of Av. And we're going to spend some time looking at each one of these, not necessarily going into full details about them all, but to try and develop the theme of what this date, this special day of the 15th of Av was really all about. Let's first put out there and put paid to the idea, the notion, that this is now known as the Jewish Valentine's Day. God forbid that we should actually be uh, reducing the 15th of Av to something as trivial as uh, nonsensical from a Jewish point of view as Valentine's Day. This is a day of really, really special stuff, knowing about Simcha, about certainty and really, really getting into the ideas that the 15th of Av truly conveys is what we'll be doing for the balance of our show today. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Yes, so to continue about the 15th of Av today, the festival of Hamish Asabav, otherwise known as Tuba Av, and we explained a little bit in our introduction what the essence of this day is actually all about. 
Now, in the Gemara, in Tainis and the Talmud, it goes on to tell us a number of special events that occurred on this day. So why was it that all the daughters of Jerusalem would go out and dance? Why was it a day that led to these Shaduchim, to marriages that were made on this particular day? And therefore it's become known, as we say, that the day of love and of marriage in uh, Jewish tradition and Jewish thinking. So, number one, and to add to our theme of the idea of certainty, and uh, actually, I did mention this in my show on Tisha B'Av itself, um, we have the concept, the idea of the certainty that the Jewish people had in the time that they were in the desert. Now, what had happened? The Jewish people, we know, were journeying through the desert for 40 years. Every journey of importance, every journey um, of paramount importance in order to cleanse them, to purify them, to get them ready for their um, arrival in Israel. And here, the Jewish people, after a short while in the desert, and the spies are sent to check out Israel, they come back with a bad report. They actually reported to the Jewish people just before the ninth of Av. And it was that night that the uh, people cried about their uh, coming to Israel. And God, like I guess any good father said, I'll give you a reason to cry. You cry for no reason. There will be a reason to cry, unfortunately. This generation will need to die out in the desert, and they will all die, actually, according to the Midrash, on Tisha B'Av. They will die on Tisha B'Av, 15,000 per year. Now, when it came to the end of this decree, the Jewish people had not yet been fully informed that the decree was over, and they thought that people still had to die, but they passed through the ninth, and they passed through the 10th, and they passed through the 11th. When they came to the 15th of the month of Av, and they saw the moon in its full glory, as if you were lucky enough, you would have seen last night in our beautiful Joburg night sky, the beautiful, full, bright moon. When they saw that, it was a symbol of the certainty that they were going to go and occupy Israel, that they were going to cross the Jordan, that they were going to live to tell the tale, that no longer was that decree there that people had to die out, and that once again, there was a rekindling of the bonds of love between God and the Jewish people, that once again, there was this opportunity to now come together, in inverted commas, as a married couple, us and God, in our um, advent to Israel. What a wonderful and great um, moment it actually must have been. Could you imagine the joy, the simcha, in the desert on that night. Could you imagine? They had been through 40 years of torment, 40 years of uh, death on Tisha B'Av, every single year in the desert, and no small number. It comes out that 15,000 people would have died every year for the 40 years in the desert. And now, decree is over. Opportunity that lies ahead is great, is wonderful, and is certain. The certainty that no longer were we doomed to death in the desert, but rather we were looking at the geula, at the redemption, at getting into Israel and being able to put the Torah into practice and everything that came with it. That's one of the things that is listed in the Talmud, but there are a number of others. So a second one is the concept of marriage really in um, actuality that could and needed 
to be reallowed from a time when it was banned. Now, what does this mean? That marriage was banned. It wasn't entirely banned, but there were bans. Now, I remember <coughs> that in the old days, you used to be able to we have to publish marriage bans. I don't know if it's got any link to this, but actually marriage was banned between the tribes of Israel for a certain period of time. And why did this come about? Well, you know, we've recently read in our parashiot in the Torah, we read about a group of young women or a group of ladies called the daughters of Tzlovchad. The daughters of Tzlovchad came to Moshe, still in the desert, with a very, very valid um, question, and that was we were talking about and learning about and thinking about what is going to happen when we get into Israel and the land is going to be divided up amongst the tribes. We are five girls who had a father, and our father would have or would inherit land in Israel. There are no brothers, there are no men, there's no male line to inherit and keep it kind of within the tribe. What would happen? Can we and do we and will we inherit land? And of course, Moshe Rabbeinu gave them the answer that they would inherit the land. But this led to some kind of discussion at a later stage about the marriage of those girls. Now, if they were to marry boys, men from another tribe, What's going to happen then if we uh, are going to have to then transfer the land from one tribe to the other? Who will actually own it? If we come from or I am from the tribe of Ruvain, let's say, and I marry a girl from the tribe of Binyamin and she inherits land from her father and now I uh, take her and we go and live in the tribe of Ruvain. But she's inherited land there. So it comes out that the tribe of Ruvain now has a share in the tribe of Binyamin's land. And so this potential problem became manifest within the Jewish people. Now, they actually couldn't work it all out. It was uh, difficult for the people at the time to really fathom how to work it out and how to do it. And so there was an actual ordinance that was issued um, that it was binding for a generation that had conquered and settled the Holy Land and saw that the people were unable to sort out land issues between themselves. And the ordinance that was issued by the rabbis of the time was no marriage will be permitted between the tribes. Tribal intermarriage is not going to take place. It's too complicated. And you can see that the tribes were there were uh, at loggerheads over financial issues, how are we going to be able to make families? How can we have families and how can we get them all settled and how can we make sure that there is the um, uh, harmony within the Jewish home that we all aspire to and we all wish and we all hope for within our own homes? How can it be that um, you're starting off on the wrong foot, that there's a dispute about money, that there's a dispute about land? And the rabbis saw fit to say, you know what, there will be a ban on marriage between the tribes. Tribes will not intermarry. And for this generation, it seems to be that the generation was probably for about 30 years that there was no intermarriage between the tribes. But eventually, the sages, 30 years later, the generation later, chose to and saw fit to lift the ban. And they chose the date of the 15th of Av as the day on which the ban was lifted. And now we're starting to get a picture of why and how it was that all of a sudden this became a day for 
marriages. Well, all of a sudden, Jewish girls were permitted to marry, or they had the, let's call it, their selection choice was 12 times or 11 times greater than it was before. Before, you could only marry within your tribe. Now you can marry anybody within the Jewish people. And so it was for the guys, and so it was for the girls. And so perhaps led to this idea of marriage being permitted. Now, once again, suddenly there was a certainty that came from a lack of certainty. From doom and gloom, suddenly there was openness. From uh, darkness and confinement, suddenly there was a release into this great and wondrous time where now all of a sudden there could be more marriages, there could be more shiduchim, there could be more love, there could be more Jewish homes that were built, and so on, was regarded as something great and truly wonderful. There was a further time when actually there was a ban on marriage between certain tribes. Now, this affected only the tribe of Benjamin. And the tribe of Benjamin was um, actually... Uh, not permitted to intermarry with any of the other tribes. And the tribe of Benjamin was excommunicated because of its behavior at the time of the incident that is known as the Pelegesh Begiva, the concubine Giva. <clears throat> this occurred during the, jud- the judgeship. It's in the book of Judges of Otniel ben Kanaz, who led the Jewish people from 2533 to 2573 from creation, which is 1228 to 1188 BCE, before the Common Era. That's when this um, all occurred. And what had happened was because a woman was abused, and it seemed to point at men from the tribe of Binyamin, from the tribe of Benjamin, the whole tribe, because of one woman, the whole tribe was excommunicated, and nobody was allowed to marry those guys. Nobody was allowed to marry again, for a generation, into that tribe. Now, once again, the sages who lifted this ban, and it would have been um, then uh, those couple of 3,000 years ago when the ban was actually lifted, they chose to lift the ban on the 15th of Av. Once again, the re-permission, the reintroduction of marriage between all tribes, even though here it was only the one tribe that was isolated, Still, it was chosen to be done on this day, the day of the lifting of restrictions, the day of the lifting of hardship, and the day of the reintroduction of the love between people and the love between man and God. There was a further um, incident that happened on this day. Now, when the division of the Holy Land of Israel uh, happened and was divided into two kingdoms following the death of King Solomon in the year 2964 or 797 before the Common Era. A uh, ruler by the name of Yeravam ben Navat was the ruler of the breakaway northern kingdom of Israel. Believe it or not, a Jewish king set up roadblocks to prevent his citizens from making the three times a year pilgrimage to Yerushalayim. Could you imagine? A Jewish king set up roadblocks. But we're not talking about roadblocks as in a couple of guys on the side of the road who are questioning you. We're talking about barriers, barricades that were set up so nobody could travel from the north to the south. Nobody could go to Jerusalem for Pesach, Shavuot, and Sukkot. They couldn't go. 
Um, and uh, these were finally removed, believe it or not, 200 years later. So can you believe, for 200 years, there was a roadblock, a barricade, a border, an inability. We're talking now about the inability for people to travel, and we're really, really struggling with it. The idea that we cannot cross borders, that we cannot go out of countries, that we cannot leave our provinces and so on. Could you imagine that for 200 years, the people from the north were not allowed to go down to Yerushalayim, to the south? But 200 years later, a man by the name of Shea ben Ella, who was the last king of the northern kingdom, removed the barricades. And believe it or not, it happened on this day, on the 15th of Av, in the year 3187. Or 574 before the common era Imagine that The removal of those barricades Once again Jewish people being reunited Once again Opening up and taking away the barricades Once again The ability to blend together To come together To do all the wonderful things that we want to do In our homes In our marriages In a harmonious fashion Bringing shalom Bringing peace to the Jewish people this truly is what this date was actually all about. A sixth and further um, event that happened. There was a fortress by the name of Beitar, which was the last holdout in the Bar Kokhba rebellion, the famous Bar Kokhba rebellion. Now, when Beitar fell, and it happened to be also on Tisha B'Av, which we commemorated last week, in the year 133 of the Common Era. So we're now jumping a little bit closer to our time, going back approximately just under 2,000 years. Bar Kokhba, many thousands of Jews were actually killed at this place called Beitar. The Romans massacred the survivor of the battle with great and terrible cruelty, and they wouldn't allow the Jews to bury their dead. When the dead of Beitar were finally brought to burial, which was a long time later, it happened to be on the 15th of Av in the year 3908 or 148 of the Common Era. An additional blessing, Hatov Vahametiv, was added to the grace after meals in commemoration of this, but it happened on the 15th of Av. Once again, terrible darkness, terrible difficulty, and the change the overhauling of that barricade, of that barrier, albeit that it was tragic. It was talking about the burial of the dead of Beitar. This also happened on the 15th of Av. We'll be back with you with a little more on the 15th of Av, on Tuba Av, just after this. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. So if we take a careful look at the 15th of Av this day, we have several Different things that happened on this day. The dancing maidens of Jerusalem, the dying of the generation of the Exodus ceased. The tribes of Israel were permitted to intermarry. The tribe of Benjamin was permitted to re-enter the community. Hoshea ben Ella opened the roads to Yerushalayim. The dead of Beitar were allowed to be buried. And finally, we're told that the day of the breaking of the axe was actually celebrated on this day. Now, what was that all about? Sounds like burying the hatchet. Well, it was in a way. But when the Holy Temple stood in Yerushalayim, the annual cutting of firewood for the altar was concluded on the 15th of Av. Remember, this day comes in the midsummer 
in the Northern Hemisphere. And therefore, it was picked as being the date on which the annual cutting of firewood was concluded. And the event, so that's the, the holy wood that was going to be used in the Beis Hamikdash, in the altar, this event was celebrated with feasting and rejoicing. And at the end of it all, they actually would um, ceremonially break the axes. The axes that were used uh, for the cutting of the wood were actually destroyed. We don't want to keep axes lying around. We don't want to hold on to weaponry, to anything that God forbid could cause anybody any harm. I guess that was one idea, but the idea of the breaking of the ha- of the axes, of destroying the things that were used for cutting. Cutting is never regarded as being great, wonderful, positive energy. The idea of splitting apart, of breaking apart, and so on. Here, once again, the destroying, the getting rid of those axes happened on the 15th of Av. Now, if we think about it, and I did tell you at the beginning, if you would have taken a good look at the moon last night, you would have noticed how full, how big it actually is. If we now juxtapose that with the sun in the northern hemisphere, remember we focus all our attention always on Israel when we talk about these things. In the northern hemisphere, the 15th of Av, in a way, marks kind of a crossover between the moon and the sun. The sun starts actually to get weaker. There's a weakening of the sun from about now, from mid-summer, as the sun starts weakening. But at that same time, the 15th of Av, the moon is at its fullest. When we think about that, we have a whole new, different dimension of what this 15th of Av actually is truly all about. And we'll be back to sum up right after this. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. So, so many things that happened on the 15th of Av in history, but one of them that keeps on recurring on this date, and that is that the moon is at its fullest and the sun in the Northern Hemisphere is starting to weaken. And it's very symbolic, actually, of our role, of the Jews' role in this world, remember, that our symbol in the calendar, although we actually do govern our calendar both by the moon and the sun, but the symbol of the Jewish people is always the moon, the light in the night sky, the light in the darkness, the ability to light up that darkness and to bring light wherever we go is represented by the moon. And, of course, there's the waxing and the waning of the moon and so on, and our Chodesh, our month, is dictated by the moon. And here at the 15th of the month, which, by the way, is very, very common to be one of the Jewish Chagim, one of the Jewish festivals, a number of our festivals take place on the 15th of the month, in the middle of the month, when the moon is at its fullest. But this one, more significant than most, because it is at this one that at the same time, the sun is beginning to, so to speak, recede. And the sun representative of the world out there, of the uh, world that um, is dictated to and belongs to and is involved with all the things that Judaism doesn't stand for are represented by that sun. And as we have reached a pinnacle point, a point of ascendancy, 
so at the same time there is the descent of all of those negative forces, of all the negativity that's in the world. And in fact, if we think about the real posture and the real poise of this particular moment in Jewish history and in the history of the world, at the moment things have looked pretty bleak out there. And there comes a time when a time like today, when the energy is hopefully felt everywhere of being one of turnaround, of change, of certainty that the outcomes are going to be good, that the outcomes are going to be uh, beautiful, that everything is going to be so positive and that the energy of this day will hopefully carry us through, realizing that the moon is full, that the sun representative of negativity in this analogy is starting to recede. Let's go forward today with the certainty and the knowledge of the fact that the promises that Hashem has promised us will be fulfilled, that Mashiach will come, that we will be reunited with our loved ones, that in the symbol of marriages, of building Jewish homes, we too will be able to build the ultimate Jewish home, the home that represents the love that is rekindled between God and his Jewish people, between heaven and earth. With the coming of Mashiach, the rebuilding of the temple, may it happen speedily in our time. And I would like to wish you all a great rest of the week, a great Shabbos up ahead. And I look forward to being back with you same time, same place next week. Please, God, on Judaism 101.9.